Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are now in our fifth season, and we remain just as excited as ever, if not more so, to continue to help you explore and understand that unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here, issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung, heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's show in our December series on waste and waste management. And today we're going to focus in on understanding e-waste or electronic waste and its pervasiveness in our lives. Now, truly a growing and very persistent component of waste that has to be dissected for us to understand it, and we're going to talk about that today. Again, e-waste or electronic waste. A few questions first to consider. Do you still watch movies from a VCR player? I bet not. Are you purchasing the latest cell phone every time a new one is released? Well, if you're like about 50% or more of iPhone users, then that answer is probably yes. And how many computers have you gone through in your lifetime or really in the last few years? Probably quite a few. And what did you do with the old ones? Where are they? Are they stacked up in your closet like mine or just thrown around? Have you recently updated any large home appliances? Well, recent studies from the Global E-Waste Monitor uh, in 2020 show that people are buying new appliances more than ever. And among the startling conclusions in their just-published report is that our global electronic waste is on track to reach 74 metric tons by the year 2030, representing nearly a 100% increase over a 16-year period. And that's a lot. And this makes e-waste the world's fastest-growing domestic waste stream. They write, fueled mainly by higher consumption rates of electric and electronic equipment, uh, also fueled by the short life cycles of this equipment, and very few options for repair of this equipment. So electronic waste is unique among the many tributaries, I like to say, making up our larger waste stream. The same chemicals and metals that allow our electronics to work so smoothly are also highly toxic when consumed or when absorbed into bloodstreams. So the real question is, where do all of those obsolete, outdated, non-functioning, and I like to say uncute electronics go? Well, the answer is it becomes electronic waste, also known as e-waste or in some circles known as e-scraps. And that's any electronic product or, or product containing electronic components that has reached the end of its usable life cycle or in the case of a lot of iPhones that we just want a newer, cuter one. So unbeknownst to many of us, if not most of us, is that electronics actually contain some toxic substances so that they must be handled with care when they're no longer wanted or needed as e-waste can potentially cause harm to humans, animals, 
and the global environment if they are disposed of improperly. Now, according to the EPA, an estimated 2.7 million tons of consumer electronic goods were generated in 2018. And of that amount, about 1.4 million tons of consumer electronics were collected for recycling for about a 38% recovery rate. And we're going to talk a lot more about these recovery rates and recycling with our experts. Some consumer electronics include products such as TVs, VCRs, again, that nobody uses, so I guess we're all throwing away those old ones that have been sitting there for like 10 or 15 years. They include DVD players, video cameras, stereo systems, telephones, and, of course, computer equipment. And the remaining 1.6 million tons of consumer electronic goods were disposed of primarily in landfills, where that precious metals that they contain cannot be recovered. Now, the 2018 statistics also show an increase in both the generation and recycling of consumer electronic goods as compared to 2009 when the EPA estimated that 2.3 million tons of these products were generated and about almost a half a million ton was recycled. However, the recycling rate of consumer electronic goods has declined, actually, from 25% in 2019 to about 24% in 2018. Now, children who are exposed to e-waste are particularly vulnerable to the toxic chemicals that they contain due to the children's smaller size, due to their less developed organs, and the rapid rate of growth and development. Children absorb pollutants relative to their size, and they're less able to metabolize or otherwise eradicate the toxic substances from their bodies. On the other hand, e-waste also offers some opportunities, believe it or not. Opportunities for resource recovery and value creation. E-waste contains precious metals such as gold, silver, copper, platinum, and some rare earth elements, as well as plastics, glass, and other materials, which indeed can be recovered and can be reused for new products and applications. So recycling e-waste can also recreate jobs. It can create income and some social benefits for people and organizations who are involved in the formal and the regulated e-waste sector. Recycling e-waste can also reduce the demand for virgin materials and energy and thus save us cost and resources and mitigate some of the environmental impacts. Therefore, it's quite important to understand the issue of e-waste and its pervasiveness in our lives and then to take action to prevent, reduce, and manage e-waste in a responsible and sustainable way. Now, this is a lot, but here today to help us explore and unpack and understand some of this are some experts who are going to make us smarter. Today we have with us Dr. Callie Babbitt. Callie is a professor in the Galasano Institute for Sustainability at Rochester Institute of Technology. She directs an interdisciplinary research team who studies sustainability challenges and solutions for emerging and rapidly evolving technologies, including consumer electronics, lithium-ion batteries, electric vehicles, nanomaterials, renewable energy, and food waste management systems. Welcome, Callie, and did I get all of that right? Thank you so much for having me, Bernice. Thank you for making time to join us. Our other guest is Dr. Rudiger Kerr. Rudiger is head of the Bonn Office of the United Nations Institute for Training and Research. He's also manager of the Sustainable Cycles program called Cycle, 
And he's also executive secretary of the Solving the E-Waste Problem Initiative, which aims to initiate and develop fair and environmentally safe solutions to the e-waste problem through analysis, planning, and pilot projects in joint cooperation with industries, governments, academia, as well as non-government organizations. Rudiger is also an adjunct professor at the University of Limerick in Ireland, and he's in their Department of Electronics and Computer Engineering. Welcome, Rudiger, and did I get all of that right? Thank you, Bernice. Unfortunately not. I'm no longer involved with the Solving the E-Waste Problem Initiative. I founded it, but I left it in 2017, so it's quite a while ago. Well, welcome anyway. (laughs) We want to (laughs) certainly pick your brain about all that expertise. So again, thank you for, for joining us. We have about four minutes before we need to go to break, so we will start and, and finish what we need to finish on the other side. I want to start with you, Rudiger, and can you tell our listeners what is the global definition of e-waste, and how and why is that global definition different than our definition here in the U.S.? Yeah, thank you, Bernice. I mean, this is a very interesting question because if we look into definitions worldwide as regards e-waste, there are more than hundreds out by legal texts, uh, by, by business players, etc. But there seems to be a common understanding that, first of all, electronics and electrical equipment refers to all products with security of electrical components and a power or battery supply. And now when it comes to the end-of-life aspect, This, what we call triple E, electrical and electronic equipment, becomes e-waste once it has been discarded by its owner as waste without the intent of reuse. So this is a standard definition more widely used at the moment, and it was generated at the times I was still with the STEP initiative as you referred to earlier. I want to take just a minute to go back and and make sure that we have a a good grasp of that definition. Yeah, probably the easiest way to define it, anything what comes with either a plug or a battery and then is reaching end of life and has been discarded by its owner as waste without the intent of reuse, then it is e-waste. Plug-in or batteries? Plug-in or batteries, indeed and that has been discarded by its owner. And I I see that that subtle definition, though, deals with the iPhones or the other equipment that's still working. It's just that we don't want it anymore, and we discard it. Absolutely. That's the case. Okay. And so how and why, briefly, is that different, the one you gave, the global, than the the U.S. definition? Yeah, in the U.S. it functions a little bit differently um, because in the United States, the State Environment Department defines a set of targeted products categories for recycling. So they are selecting certain electrical and electronic equipment to be recycled. But these categories usually encompass only consumer electronics, as you referred to earlier. So the TV set, the tablets, uh, etc. Whereas uh, large appliances are excluded from these statistics and definitions simply because there are dissembled and recycled by removal companies and treated outside 
these consumer electronic streams. I hate to cut you off, but we need to go to break. But we'll be right back on the other side to talk more about this definition. And we want to bring Callie into that definitional conversation as well. Thank you. We'll be right back. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, The Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all HEB stores, natural grocers, all central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DYI classes, gifts, and more, and with the best Christmas trees in Texas, I'm told. Our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to today's show on e-waste or electronic waste, understanding it and its pervasiveness in our lives. And we are back today with Callie Babbitt with the University of Rochester and Rudiger Kerr with the United Nations Institute for Training and Research. And we are very glad that these two experts have made time to uh, join us. Now, Rudiger, before the break, we were again trying to understand this definition and why it's different uh, in the U.S. And to summarize, I think what I got, (laughs) what the listeners got, is that in the U.S. it does not include uh, perhaps certain uh, appliances, whereas globally it's really anything that plugs in or has a battery. But some of those are excluded in the U.S. Callie, can you weigh in on that perhaps as to why? Is it just a matter of time? You know, probably my old refrigerator that was 20 years old or so before I got a new one a couple of years back didn't have all the electronics that the new one has. Is it a result of that or why is it different? Well, the way the United States handles electronic waste is different largely because of the way our policy landscape works out. So the federal government doesn't actually have any sort of law or any sort of definition about electronic waste. It's really left up to the states, and only 25 states have laws about electronic waste. Each one of those states defines different products, different materials to be covered. And then there's a lot of products in our daily lives that have electronics in them that just aren't included. So in the U.S., when we think about electronic waste, what we're typically talking about are those consumer electronics you have in your home, the television, the phone, the tablet, the media recorders, things like that. But if you look across our life and and all of the things we use in our daily life, electronics are in so many more components. They're in our vehicles. They're in our appliances. They're in the connections to batteries and solar panels that are starting to pop up in people's homes. And they're in toys and and household um, tools and things like a smart toothbrush or smart hairbrush. So electronics are in a lot of things. And all of these things should be managed smartly and safely and sustainably. But unfortunately, by nature of how the policy works in the U.S. and the fact that it's really left up to the states to define what e-waste is or isn't, 
only a subset of all these products actually get covered by law and required to be recycled. And with all of those electronics and and equipment and appliances that you mentioned, the term pervasive is understating it, it appears. It's hard to go a single day without coming across something in your life that has electronics in it. Indeed. We get in the car, we turn on the TV. It's, it's pervasive. So back to you, Rudiger, though. What are the environmental impacts of our reliance and our pervasiveness of electronics? And how do these uh, environmental degradations threaten our health? Before getting to this, uh, Bernice, if you allow me, I think it's very important to stress also to the listeners of, of this show what is not covered by e-waste, because uh, that's a very important aspect as well. Uh, Because if we look, for example, to the electronics in our cars, there are by definition not falling under e-waste as such. They are not included in any statistics. The same applies also for batteries, for example. They are excluded also in the process of recycling. Then it comes also because uh, there's imagination that there is a lot in our orbit uh, traveling around the Earth. All the satellite wastes are also not included in e-waste, and the same applies also for all military equipment at the end of the day. So if we speak about e-waste, e-waste definition, it's also very important to stress what is not officially covered here at the moment. Well, you're saying, Rudiger, that those items are not officially covered. So are you saying that they are e-waste but not categorized by that, or are they just not e-waste? There are e-waste at the end of the day as per the definition. But if we look into the statistics, and you have introduced already some numbers for consumer electronics in the U.S., I I will definitely introduce also additional numbers later in our talk today. Um, But it must be always remembered that this does not cover Uh, the categories I've just mentioned. And so that's a whole nother layer of electronic waste. Like I said, the term pervasive is an understatement. (laughs) But thank you. Thank you for that. But now if you can help us understand the environmental impacts of our reliance uh, on and all this e-waste that surrounds us. You know, I hear some of the time when we have uh, when we're talking about plastics, we talk about a plastic soup. It seems like we can say the same for e-waste. We're in an e-waste soup around us. So again, tell us about the environmental impacts. Yeah, I think the environmental impact starts already with the production of these equipment. So anything what we are producing is coming with a large ecological rucksack. So that means that there's going or there are a lot of resources going into the production of a computer, of a TV set, of a washing machine, of a toy, etc. And it was estimated quite a while already ago that only for a mobile phone, which weighs 100 gram only, the ecological rucksack is roughly 75 kilograms. 35 kilograms for resources going into the production, 8 kilograms going into the production as such, and another 31 kilogram energy, so including fossil fuels, etc., and then one kilogram of disposal at the end of the day. And this needs to be reflected in all the discussions to really take a holistic view at this. In addition, if we are then consuming, for example, and you refer to your old 20 years old fridge a while ago, I mean, only the consumption of a refrigerator is in between 
100 to 300 kilowatt hours per year. So that means it is producing roughly between 40 to 120 uh, kilograms CO2 per year. And that's the environmental impact we also have to consider just from the usage phase. But now, and that's, I think, the main topic we are discussing today, it's related to the e-waste as such. And uh, the e-waste consisting of so different components, elements, etc., is not properly treated at end of life. It's not properly treated uh, in recycling. It's releasing a lot of these components, elements, etc., with the necessary or with the resulting environmental harm, with the consequences uh, for the health of workers performing probably informal activities in this regard, etc. So you're saying that quite a bit of the environmental impact for e-waste happens when it's being made or produced. So that's one Absolutely. that's one component of e-waste. Let's say take a iPhone. So all of that that component of when it's being made, that's one element or component. Then you have uh, obviously the component of e-waste at the end of the life cycle and how it's disposed. What about in use in this middle phase when the e- when the electronics that become e-waste what about when they are being used? Is there an environmental and or health impact there at that stage? Yeah, as, as I try to describe, it's mainly related to the energy consumption. And now it depends then really where the energy and how the energy as such is produced. I mean, if it's uh, produced by solar energy, etc., you still have the issue that the PVCs, so the, the photovoltaic system, also needs to be produced to produce solar energy at the end of the day. So there is an impact. But if the energy is produced by oil, by gas, or whatsoever in this regard, there is definitely quite an impact from an energy consumption point of view. Indeed, indeed. And we just have a couple of minutes to go for this segment. And I'll turn to you, Callie, too. Are you able to tell us more about the health impacts of e-waste? Bernice, I think it's really important to mention that the consumer electronics that we use in our daily life are not harmful to touch or use. The materials that are contained in them are largely safe, and international policy has done a really good job of phasing out hazardous materials that might be that humans might have been exposed to in the past. And of course, that's if you're using them in a normal way. Where the impact really comes from is in the materials, either when we're extracting them from the environment, it takes a lot of energy and resources and chemicals to mine some of the raw materials that go into the phone. And these are being mined in countries that don't have stringent environmental controls, that don't have a lot of protections for the workers and the miners that are doing that manual labor, and then for those that are actually manufacturing the components and products. So there can be emissions, there can be releases into drinking water from these mining operations, and all of those things hurt, have the potential to increase risk to the humans and and animals and, and the ecosystems that are in the areas where those activities are taking place. And the same is true on the other side. When we discard of these electronics, if they go into safe and well-regulated landfills and recycling systems, they're not actually harmful. It's when they're managed improperly, when components are burned or recycled with really primitive technology, that these can be released again and and impact human health. Indeed. We're going to go to break now, but we'll be right back on the other side because I want to dig more into some some of the things you just said, Callie. Thank you. We'll be right back with Callie Babbitt and Rudiger Kerr.
Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today to our series in December of Waste and Waste Management. And today we're focusing in on understanding the place of electronic waste in our lives and its pervasiveness. And we've learned already that the term pervasiveness is probably an understatement as it relates to uh, all the electronic waste around us. And we are back with Dr. Callie Babbitt from the University of Rochester and Dr. Rudiger Kerr with the United Nations Institute for Training. Again, thank you all for joining us. Now, before the break, Callie, you were telling us a little bit about the, the health impacts. And you made it very clear there's a lot of health impact on the front end as the components for e-waste are being mined. But then the usage component of the uh, electronics that generate the e-waste are, are fairly safe. But then we run into issues on the disposal. And I remember from the introduction we just did is that a small percentage, and that percentage I think had declined over recent years, of e-waste is being properly disposed of. So can you tell us more about that? Sure. This is actually a really hard thing to measure and to get good numbers on because, you know, it really comes down to us trying to trace how these products are used in people's lives, when they go to discard them, and then what happens to it at this point. But one of the really tricky things about e-waste recycling is that the products that used to be coming into recycling were relatively large. They had screws and, and large fixtures. They could be easily taken apart, and components could be taken apart and, and recycled. If you think about the products that we use more now, they're small, they're sleek, they're lightweight, they're, very, they're not designed to be disassembled or recycled, and they're very complex. So one of the challenges with recycling and why we're seeing some changes in the numbers is that the products that are going into recycling are getting lighter and getting smaller. So we may not be generating as large of a mass of these electronics, at least in the United States where things have sort of stabilized, but the products requiring recycling are increasingly complex and difficult to do so. And so it requires a lot of extra work on the back end to actually recycle them. It's very cost intense. And some of these products and materials don't have markets to where the materials can actually be sold into. So it's a really complex system that has a lot of moving pieces. What would you say is the, the most pervasive uh, component of e-waste? Well, I'm not sure about uh, most pervasive component. I mean, one of the characteristics is that most of the products that we're talking about all have a circuit board. Those circuit boards are often manufactured with a lot of materials that are valuable, like gold, for example. And so there's a lot of recycling infrastructure built up around the ability to take out these circuit boards and, and process them in order to get that gold out. Now, the amount of gold in your circuit board in your computer at home is really tiny. But when you add all of it up, what everybody has in, in their homes and basements around the world, then it becomes a, a larger amount. And it actually can be found in electronics at a greater concentration than mines in the earth. So it makes sense to recycle it from electronics, and it's a lot more environmentally friendly to do so because you can recover those materials out with a lot lower health and environmental impacts. But the step is really getting the electronics from the consumers to the recyclers and then from the recyclers that take the products apart and take the circuit boards out to the place where they can chemically remove that gold and recover it for future use. Well, I can tell it's complex just from your your explanation, but you but I want to go back. So you said you said that there's more gold hanging out in these electronics than there is to be mined. Well, not a total amount of gold, mm -hmm. but the concentration in electronics is higher than the concentration in some mines around the world. Another really common products in electronics now is lithium-ion batteries. 
And these are a really big challenge for recycling and health because they can get very hot. They can, um, if they're damaged or handled improperly, they can catch on fire. We've, we've heard about some instances of those in the news. And so, of course, that's a health risk to workers if they don't know that a battery is in a product or if they're not able to handle them correctly. So these batteries are one of the big challenges that we're facing right now. They're in almost everything from toys to computers to phones. And you don't always know that a product that you're, you're receiving to recycle has a battery in it. So it requires us to, to disassemble the product, take the battery out, and then it goes into its own special handling system to make sure it gets handled correctly. And so those can also be um, a big challenge for, for the recycling system as well. So, Callie, in your opinion, though, what role do manufacturers play and, and how can consumers make more informed choices to support sustainability in, in, in terms of our electronics? Well, in an ideal world, the sustainable solutions would be baked in at the beginning of the process. We'd really be designing products with sustainability in mind. So designing products that don't contain hazardous materials, designing products that are easy to disassemble and be recycled. So there is a strong role for the manufacturers to design products that can be recovered, can be recycled. And ideally, because of so much of the environmental impact goes in the manufacturing of the product, the best solution is to design products that can be used longer. So that means making them able to be repaired, refurbished, remanufactured, so that when the first user is no longer wanting to continue using them, someone else can still find a use for them. So that's the biggest strategy that we can think about from the manufacturing side. But we all have an important role to play. Consumers can also think about, do you need that next iPhone right when it comes out? Or can you still get value out of your current product by maintaining it and repairing it? And then there's also a role for policy. As I mentioned, in the U.S., it's kind of a patchwork where we've got different states doing different things. That actually makes it harder for the manufacturers to put in consistent practices to encourage recycling. So if we had a more co consistent um, and more harmonized policy where every state had similar laws or if there was federal regulations that gave more consistent guidance, it would make it easier for the manufacturer to put some of these uh, sustainability practices into work. Now, Rudiger, I've heard the term, and I hear it a lot, called right to repair. What does that mean? Tell our listeners about that. That's a very interesting development we especially also see here in Europe but elsewhere in the world. We know that uh, yeah, some products are reaching quite shortly already uh, a situation where they are no longer functional and require repair. Uh, but then we are also coming across the fact that sometimes components are no longer available and that a machine cannot be repaired. I personally made the experience only recently with a dishwasher, seven years old, um, the heating system was no longer functioning, and so I requested a repair, but I was told, no, it's not possible. We don't have the component anymore. So what to do here? And here there's quite some political movement, really, to, to, to yeah, introduce a right to repair that the manufacturers and uh, others have to keep stock, really, of all the components for a certain period uh, of time let's say for a washing machine, probably 10 years or so, so that it can be ensured that this machine can be repaired anytime the consumer wants it to be repaired. And uh, this is even supported in Europe here partly by public funding, so that there are making public funding available going to a good number of consumers, let's say 200 euros, and there are even reimbursed the costs 
before the report. So that's a model uh, which is actually tested here in Europe here and there, and it seems to be quite successful. We don't know yet whether a larger introduction of such a model by, for example, uh, European guidelines or so will be introduced, but it's at least showing uh, an attempt uh, to, to introduce such kind of rightful repair. Also, Rudiger, I want you to talk to us a little bit uh, about how the improper disposal of electronic waste can affect local communities and what can individuals or those communities do to ensure a more responsible uh, disposal. You are really pointing here to a very severe issue we are seeing, probably not directly for the community, but overall. The biggest challenge we are actually confronted with when it comes to e-waste is globally speaking low collection rates. So roughly or on average, only 20% of the total e-waste arising is properly collected and recycled. So that means 80% is going somewhere else, probably kept in our drawers for too long, probably landfilled, incinerated, or shipped to the global south for improper treatment. And here, the Global South is especially impacted also by improper treatment, as highlighted also by Kelly earlier. I mean, these informal practices by burning e-waste, by using acid baths to, to access, for example, the gold uh, in printed circuit boards, etc., uh, this is harming not only the health, but also the environment. So it's polluting the water, it's, it's polluting the soil, with all health effects, etc., And that's a severe issue for all the communities affected by all this. And we see it in many sites uh, in the Global South. Um, we have visited sites in Ghana, in, in Pakistan, in India, in China, and elsewhere. And it's a really severe issue. And it's causing tears. Also, in my eyes, though I've seen a lot in this regard, if you see how polluted and what is happening there, and how impacted the people are in this regard. So, but if we speak about our communities in Europe, in the US, etc., there is not a direct impact as such, but it's an indirect one because of the low collection, because we are wasting a lot of resources this way. And these resources are also of importance to keep our supply chains going and producing the products we want. Indeed. We're going to need to go to break now. We'll be right back on the other side with Dr. Callie Babbitt uh, from the University of uh, Rochester and Dr. Rudiger Kerr with the United Nations Training Program. Thank you all. We'll be right back on the other side. Want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all HEB stores, natural grocers, all central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download at nadallas.com. Our other sponsor is North Haven Garden. Serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas. Offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. And we are told with the best Christmas trees in Texas. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care. Practicing dentistry for over 40 years with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body. 
specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today to our show on waste and waste management as we focus in today on understanding e-waste or electronic waste and its pervasiveness in our lives. And we are back with two experts who are indeed making us smarter, Dr. Callie Babbitt with the uh, Rochester Institute of Technology, not Rochester University, and Dr. Rudiger Kerr with the United Nations Institute for Training and Research. And again, thank you both for being with us today. Now, before the break, we were talking about trying to unpack some of the the health impacts of uh, e-waste. And I want to focus on something that you mentioned, Callie. There's a small percentage, or about 24, 25 percent of e-waste, it appears, that is properly disposed of. But you've got a great deal of it that's going into landfills. And do we have any that's being incinerated? Because that raises concerns. We've, we talk a lot all the time every year on this show about air pollution. And so I know that incineration would be causing that, and that's a whole other host of health issues. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, Callie? Sure. So when a person decides that they're done using an electronic, whether or not it's broke or it's, it has life and they're just tired of it, it typically goes into one of uh, three places. They put it into storage in their basement and it sits there for a very long time afterwards. And I'm equally as guilty of that as anyone. Or they take it to a recycling facility or they might throw it into their, their municipal solid waste, into their regular trash. Now, in the United States, very little of our municipal solid waste actually goes to incineration. It does in some parts of the country and in in different amounts, but most of the waste in the United States goes into landfill. And in most of these landfills in the United States, we have fairly good environmental controls that manage the chemicals that might leach out or the air emissions that could come out. So while it's not an ideal situation for electronic waste to end up there, because we're basically throwing away products that have a lot of minerals in them that we then spend a lot of energy and money to mine, it's not necessarily going to have a huge health impact. A big issue, though, is that if you send a product to recycling and if the recycling facility isn't following Uh, effective, well-regulated standard practices, this product might actually not end up getting recycled properly. Now, we don't have a lot of facilities in the United States that do the final recycling step of actually, say, like melting down the circuit board and getting the metals out. It's happening in a few places, but it's not that common. Much of this gets exported to places in the world where they have this infrastructure. But some fraction of this also gets exported to countries that don't have the the needed environmental controls and the health and, and safety. And this is what Rudiger mentioned earlier is the informal sector. Formal meaning there's po- there's regulations, there's the formal practices, health and safety, and informal meaning that it's going to be handled perhaps by individuals in an open space. It might be open burning or leaching for metals. And the biggest health risk of recycling happens if we take these products that could otherwise be handled safely and put them into situations where we're exposing some of these materials in unsafe ways. Rudiger, could you tell us about any current, perhaps, and future trends of electronic waste generation and recycling in different regions of the world? 
and, and what might be some implications for better resource efficiency and things that we can learn or that can be duplicated elsewhere? There is uh, one very important aspect um, uh, Kelly just highlighted. And uh, if we recognize here also the future trends, uh, it's definitely of uh, global relevance. And these are these exports of e-waste taking place. Roughly at the moment, 10% of all e-waste generators is, is exported somewhere, uh, especially to the global, global south, for improper treatment at the end of the line. It, it's basically categorized for reuse, but it's turning out in many um, cases that it's nothing else than waste and then uh, really improperly treated there um, with all the environmental and health uh, impacts as such. And the amount is increasing, and it's simply increasing uh, by the fact that there is a larger purchasing power by many people in the global south, and they have a kind of hunger for these kind of uh, electronics as well to benefit uh, from the services they provide. So this is why these kind of exports are definitely on the rise. But overall, we see that at the moment, roughly 60 billion kilograms of e-waste are generated per year, globally speaking. 60 billion. And this is on average uh, 7.6 kilogram per capita, worldwide speaking, Whereas, for example, in the U.S., the per capita arising of e-waste is only about 21 kilogram as such. But as you mentioned already, we are on a rise here because the demand for electronics is increasing and it's more and more embedded also in other products like clothes, like furniture, cigarettes, vapes are nowadays electronic waste at the end of the day and are fueling really the e-waste mountain as such. So our estimates clearly say that by the year 2050, we will double the entire e-waste mountain so that we are reaching then roughly 120 million tons of e-waste generated per year. And this is then an avalanche we see quite similar also to what we have just experienced when it comes to the plastics. And there are quite some, some uh, similarities also in this regard. And this is why the United Nations, this is why my team and other international organizations are trying also to work on it because it's a global issue. And to be sure, and to just put a finer point on this, that people must care about e-waste because it, 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 the issues and the problems and the, the, the greatest impacts are on its improper disposal. We've got some impacts on the front end making the, the equipment, but also the improper disposal is perhaps one of the, the biggest health concerns that we have. Let me ask you, and I want to get Callie to weigh in on this too, but in your opinion, what, what's the connection between electronic waste and climate change? There is probably not a direct uh, connection, but uh, the usage, the production of uh, electronics and the final disposal waste are also having a certain impact on climate change or on the climate. So if we do not succeed in, in returning a lot of materials back from our e-waste to reuse it in our productions or to extend the lifetime, 
then we need to use more and more virgin material. And this comes with environmental impact at the end of the day through the mining, etc. On the other hand, we are increasingly consuming electronics and as highlighted earlier, they require energy, they require batteries with lithium or whatsoever. And uh, this has also an environmental impact if we are uh, still using here fossil fuels, gasoline uh, or whatsoever in order to produce the energy. Uh, what about you, Callie, and, and briefly, because I also want to uh, ask you about some statistics. So I want to point out two connections to climate change that people might not think about. One is the use of the electronics themselves. So we've talked about sort of the negative aspects of electronic use, but the reason we buy and use them is because they provide us some benefit in our life. If we're using a computer to telecommute to work versus driving a very long distance, we might actually be saving fossil fuels. If I get a smartwatch that helps me track my fitness and my activity and therefore I'm more active, I might actually be more healthy. And if I use a smart thermostat in my home that helps control the, the temperature, my home might use less energy. So one of the ways that we can connect electronics to climate is in terms of their use. So designing electronics and, and getting people to adopt and use them in ways that are actually beneficial. The other connection that we might not think about is that all of these materials used in electronics are not used in isolation. The same elements that are needed to give a smartphone its functionality are also needed in wind turbines, in solar panels, in the motors of electric vehicles. And so if we can actually build a robust recycling infrastructure, maybe even right here in the United States, then we're creating a domestic supply chain for these minerals that right now we're mining from countries all over the world, many of which creates a lot of supply chain risks, geopolitical disruptions. And so if we're actually able to recycle these here, we're building material supply chains that will go into our electric vehicles and our solar panels and all the infrastructure we need to fight climate change. Uh, and we just have a minute to go. So very briefly, Rudiger, what, what can ordinary people do in their everyday lives to help drive solutions? Yeah, of high importance is that, uh, definitely that they uh, quickly return uh, the equipment at end of life. So only by this, uh, the equipment has a chance to, to be reused or that uh, recyclers can regain also material within these uh, products as such. So that's very much of importance. But if you are considering you're purchasing something, think of and ask it also um, actively uh, whether there are chances for repair, how long they are what the environmental impact was in the production and select also in this regard so that at the end of the day, the brands are starting also a competition uh, about the environmental performance of their products, which is not in the mind of the brands at the moment, at least not that much. Okay, thank you. Last word, Callie, we just have a few seconds. What can ordinary people do in their everyday lives to help drive solutions? And you, you mentioned recycling, um, and certainly that's a major point. So one of my favorite resources is earth911.com. You can put in any product that you might be wondering about how to recycle in your zip code, and it'll share with you places where you can safely take it to be recycled. So even just knowing a little bit more about what's available in your area, that's earth911.com, at least for the U.S. listeners, um, could be a valuable resource to, to make it easier to recycle not just electronics, but all the products in your home that you might be wondering about. Indeed. Thank you so much. We have been today with Dr. Rudiger Kerr, 
with the United Nations Training and Research and with Callie Babbitt with the Rochester Institute of Technology. And they have really made us smarter today about the impact of electronic waste in our lives and in our world. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners, for listening in to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your homes, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line, so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is the result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day like yourselves. And each of those tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up, one way or the other, to the change that we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you for listening in today. And join us again next week for more Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, where we all can become smarter. Thank you.